You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Would you stand for a reading of God's Word from Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 5? And I'm going to read verse 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome to First. It's so great to welcome you in and to wave to those that are online. You might even just wave to your neighbor, greet them. It is a pleasure to get to be with you today. It's kind of good to have the madness of March behind us. I know everyone's been wanting some warmer weather, maybe some less wind. I'm finding myself kind of getting back in the routine too. I've I've been so busy, I haven't taken time to to bike to work or or even to get a bike ride. And last week I got to to bike to work. And I I was biking home from work by CNM Park. You know where CNM Park is, just around the corner. And I heard a car passing me and I heard a thunk. And when you're on your bike, you're paying attention to where all the cars are, and especially when you hear a thunk. And I, and I looked up, and there was a tumbleweed racing across the street like a dog, and that car had hit it, and it was coming straight for me. And I had to veer to dodge the tumbleweed before I made it into CNN Park. I did so unscathed, I'll have you know. But I don't like tumbleweeds. Do you like tumbleweeds? They are just not my favorite. Now, I have all kinds of props that I'll give the tumbleweeds. I mean, they are, in fact, weeds with wheels. They're the cheetahs of the weed kingdom. Just fast, you know, going wherever the wind goes. But their whole thing is just kind of to be a nuisance. I don't like them. They're not rooted. Even though they can outrun a car or a track person, they're more like mosquitoes. And, And we just want to slap mosquitoes. How many of us have had to square off against a tumbleweed in our car, and we always lose? And you're having to reach up into the the wheel well or under the the car and pull out a skeletal carcass of one of these tumbleweeds, sometimes even out of your, your spike spokes. That's happened before. That can take someone out. But I just don't like them. I prefer trees. Trees are rooted. They're fixed. They're more beautiful. I just like trees a whole lot more. Even environmental people have labeled tumbleweeds as noxious. They're they're invasive. They're poisonous. They take over the landscape. Well, today, I may be throwing you a tumbleweed here on the front end, something that you're not expecting on Easter Sunday for me to say. I want to tell you what Christianity gets wrong. It's only half wrong, but it's still wrong. And that might make some of you bristle. Now, Believe me, I believe that Christianity is the best thing going on the planet. It's it's the best thing in the universe. It's where we are all headed in Christ. I would take Christians who love Christ, who love one another, who are giving and serving any day. Christianity is the best thing going. And so, if you're an outsider, you might expect me to maybe pile on or list up a bunch of grievances about Christianity. I'm not going to do it. It is the best thing going, period. And yet with this one thing, this one thing that we get half right, it could kind of form something of an arrested development in us. 
where we don't mature, we don't grow because we can get stuck in a message. And so I'll tell you what that thing is that we get wrong. Are you ready? That Jesus died for you. That Jesus died for your sins. Whenever we say that message, and that's it, we get it wrong. It's, there's a tendency for us to just focus in on that death aspect of what Jesus did. And it's at this point that the hair might raise on the back of Christians. You might be thinking in your mind, spinning through scriptures of, wait a second, that's not right. There are plenty of passages in scripture. Yes, yes, they're there. But I think they're due for a more careful reading. And I want to push this to get us thinking about it, because if we just stay in this message that Jesus died for you or for your sins, we get stuck. It's like never getting to Easter. It's like not recognizing Christmas and the incarnation of God coming and living among us. It's like completely missing the gift that is the sacrifice of the cross of Jesus. It's just to overlook all of those things and to get stuck in, I don't know, a groundhog hole, just stuck in the death of Jesus Christ. Now, I told you that there are lots of verses, and there are, but one thing I would want you to do is to look more closely at those verses. Because it des definitely will say Jesus died for you, but it's quick to say that you might live. Or it's quick to say about the resurrection of Jesus. Let me give you an example. This is not where we're going to be today, but Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, this is just a good example of many that are there. Here's verse 10 of chapter 6. The death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. We could stop right there. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I mean, there's a perfect example. It's Jesus' death that leads to life. And yet, how many blogs or articles or Christian radio quotes or tweets just have on the t-shirt of their statement, Jesus died for you. I think it's only half true. It's only partially true, and it's not the full message. Because if you just lead with death and you stay with death, you've stripped the gospel of its value. You've stripped the gospel of its good news that Jesus lived, that he was resurrected. Another thing I'll say that might make your skin crawl a little bit. Jesus didn't conquer the cross. He conquered death. But he went to the cross, and he went through death. And yet so much of our language will focus in on death and cross and forget that Jesus endured suffering and shame of the cross, as Hebrews 12.2 says. He didn't escape it. He didn't avoid it. He went straight through it. And so the message today that Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, is one that brings great life. It's not just about death. Because Jesus has defeated death. How? By life. And so I don't think our intentions are malicious whenever we camp out or just have the t-shirt that says Jesus died. But it's hollow. It's empty. And at this point you might say, all right, well, Brady, I don't really see why this was important. 
I mean, I already believe this. I already get this. Okay, here's why. Here's why this is so important. It's pretty easy for me to find people who will believe that Jesus died, that he died for them. That's pretty easy to do. In fact, I think we probably have a room full of people that are at least aware, even if they may not, if they have some doubts, that Jesus died for them, right? That's not the tricky part. The tricky part, the rare part, is finding someone who believes that Jesus' crucifixion makes any difference in their day-to-day life, their minute-by-minute decisions. It's harder to find someone that says, yes, that makes a difference in my life today in the here and now. We don't see how Jesus' crucifixion makes any difference in my work ethic or my sex life or who I spend time with or how I treat my neighbor or my enemy. We don't see the crucifixion as having any bearing on the ins and outs of our daily life. It's like we kind of think that it's just self-explanatory to put on the t-shirt, Jesus died for you. And it just kind of hits people like a tumbleweed where they don't quite get what's going on. I think it's something of a cop-out. It's a Christian cop-out for us to focus in on what Jesus did to where we don't have to think about our response to it. How we live in light of Jesus' crucifixion. And to skip over our responsibility is to miss the fullness of Jesus' crucifixion. The fullness of the message is he died for us to live. That's the full message. That's what it's all about. And it's a big, big difference. Today, I don't want to play concordance bingo and run all over the scripture. I've just got you looking at these two verses. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles again to this Galatians 5, verse 24 and 25. Because this is going to be the linchpin for our series over these next few weeks. Just these two verses. The idea that he writes about that those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires is maybe an idea that might not be all that compelling. It might sound kind of deserty or maybe not as exciting. I don't know, am I supposed to be crucified? What does that look like? If you have that kind of reaction, then you're getting it. To think about you and I being crucified is, well, it's offensive, is what Paul says in Galatians 5.14. The cross is offensive. Or in Galatians 3.14, it's a curse. So it's kind of nonsensical to think about serving a crucified Lord, a living one who has been crucified. And yet, in Galatians 6.14, Paul says, I don't boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. All right, so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, if you look in that verse 24 that I have you open to, we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a present tense. That's something we do in the here and now. That's a prescription for our actions. That if we're going to live in the Spirit, we're going to execute the flesh. The flesh. And, and again, you say, okay, Brady, this is just not sounding very exciting. I don't want this. Well, let's talk about flesh. I want to give you a definition of flesh that's maybe different from the way that you think about it. 
Flesh is what you can do on your own without God. Now, you probably think about flesh as your biological body. I want you to think beyond your body. It's what you can do on your own without God's help. So your talents, your abilities. Think about human potential that is in you, whether you are a believer or a non-believer. All those things that you can do without reference to God is the flesh. That's what it is. Even spiritual gifts that you're given when not used in reference to God. That's flesh. One more passage. Oh, I lied. I've got to go to another one. Jeremiah, the prophet, chapter 17, verse 5. You don't have to flip there. I'll read it to you. But listen to what Jeremiah says. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, who make mere flesh, there's our word, their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert. Oh, wait a second. We've been, we've been talking about tumbleweeds. They'll, they'll be like a tumbleweed. They will not see when relief comes. They'll live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Sounds very appealing. Verse 7. Blessed are those whose trust is in the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by streams of water. Their roots will be sent out into the stream. There's you the difference between a tree and a tumbleweed. The tumbleweed is aimless. It's going by whichever direction it gets blown. It has no connection to the earth. It's fit only to decay. But a tree, the kind that we like, is nurtured by water and sunlight. It is growing deeply into the roots that go down into that rich soil. And the passage in both point us away from trusting in the flesh, our abilities, our strength that we use apart from God. Jesus showed us what this looked like. Was he worried about his flesh? No, he let himself be killed, be crucified. He let his flesh die to show his trust in God. All right, we've got to take a hard turn. We've got to turn towards practical matters. We've got to see how this makes sense in our life. So how many of you are gardeners? Any gardeners out there? Okay. I'm not going to ask if you're not a gardener. That's okay. Let's just imagine that all of us with green thumbs and without are in a little workshop. And the gardener comes, just a Saturday workshop. And he starts off and he says, we're going to plant something. What do you guys want to plant? Tumbleweeds? No, let's not. Do, let's do green chili. So he holds up a green chili seed and he said, this seed must be destroyed. This seed must be buried in the ground. It must be planted. You're, you're never going to see that seed again. It's going to die. And he does that for a minute and for an hour. And for all four hours of the clinic. And it's like we get it already. He's just letting us know that that seed is going to die. And he doesn't talk about sunlight or watering or nurturing or good soil none of that is discussed at all it's just about the seed dying it's kind of like somebody at the target return counter that says all right that's on clearance you can't return it you're never going to get it back it's not coming okay we get it i don't want to turn it. that's why i'm buying it i want to take it with me and use it this is about life 
And whenever we just have a message that's Jesus died for you without realizing he died that we might live, we're missing the good news of the gospel. And we're like a gardener who just has a clinic on seeds going away. All right, so you're like, okay, I get it. I'm just supposed to mention the death, burial, and resurrection, and then I've got it. If I just, in my communion meditation, or in my devo, or in my journaling, mention that Jesus died and rose, I've got it, right? I've got it fixed. That's all that I have to do. Well, I want to take that further. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, this crucifixion that we're supposed to have goes further. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. It's crazy. A crucified Lord wants to live and reign inside of us. All right, so I said we we're going to make this practical. I got to take it practical. So imagine for me, if you will, someone that you have some issues with right now. Maybe it's a parent, a child. Maybe it's a boss or a coworker. Have you got the person pictured in your mind? Nod your head. Everybody got someone? Come on. Have you got someone pictured? Okay, good. Well, the three things that I'm going to give you are three things that you can do towards this person to practice the way of the crucified life. This is how you can live out this crucified life in your life today. And it's a way that we can enact this passage of belonging to Christ Jesus by being crucified to our passions and desires and being led by the Spirit. All right, you ready for the first one? You've got them pictured. First thing you need to remember is I am a follower of Jesus. You need to remember that you belong to Christ Jesus. That's your identity. That's who you are. You have lots of roles, like in my case, I'm a, a dad and a parent, and I'm a husband, I'm a worker, I'm a neighbor. And all those roles, that's fine, but I am first and foremost, my identity is belonging to Jesus Christ. And so that means that in my life, I need to use I messages and not you messages in all of those roles. You've heard that before, right? That whenever I'm having a conflict with whoever this person is, I speak about where I stand as a follower of Jesus. I don't spend my time pointing the finger at you and telling you what you've done wrong. You see that difference? Because I know that I belong to Christ, I'm going to own that belonging. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to live as one that owns my actions. And if I'm wrong then I need to step up and be able to own that. How I contribute to the problem, I need to speak about that. And how I'm reacting to how someone else is also a way that I can use an I message. Because I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm living in His presence everywhere. All right, you've got the first one, right? I am a follower of Jesus. I belong to Jesus. The second one is, I'm not a victim. I am not a victim. My life is not about me whining and saying, poor me, things aren't going my way. Everything is stacked up against me. I'm not whining. Instead, as Paul writes, I'm releasing my passions and desires. You probably thought I was going to talk about sex there. Well, we'll do that next week. 
But I'm releasing my passions and desires. Because do you know what passions and desires are? It's when I get worked up that the world is not working the way I want it to work. That people are not agreeing with me or doing what I want done. And I'm just poor me. Woe is me that everything's not working in my life. What that is, is when my will gets violated. Where when I want something done, it's not being done. And so I need to back off from that and realize I'm not the victim. Can I take this one a little further? Did Jesus use victim language? This guy that was hung on the cross, did he use victim language? Oh, poor me. You mean another sick person? We're we're out of food again, says Jesus. My disciples are sleeping. Does he do this ever? What about Jesus? Oh, great. It's been a wonderful day. Here I am. I'm tried as a criminal. And I'm hanging on a cross between two other criminals. The world is stacked against me. Jesus was not a victim. He was not weak in any way. He was strong and he knew exactly what he was doing. He gave himself for us. There's no place for us to have victim language because we understand that we're releasing control. Our passions and desires are like tumbleweeds that we're not going to let control us. We're not going to blow wherever they go. Third one. So we've said, I am a follower of Jesus. I am not a victim. And the third one is, I am not you. I'm not you. We're not the same. I don't have to please you. I don't need your approval. I don't have to be dictated by your feelings. We are not the same. I'm not you. Now that's a very important thing to say because as someone who lives by the Spirit, we can fall off the wagon and want to live our own life or live to please others or live for other people's approval. Folks, whatever kind of pressure cooker you're in, whatever crisis that you might be having with this person that you're imagining in your mind, Whatever conflict is one where you have to realize, I'm not that person. Their approval is not what I'm trying to seek. And another word that we could use here, maybe a more technical word, is being self-differentiated. I know where I end and where you begin. And we're not the same. We don't have to fuse together to be one kind of person. It's, It's a capacity to not let your life be defined by other people. That when families or crises or things that are going on at work tend to want to pull and draw you in, you know who you are. Now, I need to be clear here. This is not about being selfish. This is not about me ordering a world where I get to do what I want. That's, that's not what we've been discussing. This is about realizing that we're different from another person. We're living in relationship with them, not isolated from them, because we know who we are. Now, Jesus was very self-differentiated. He knew what his mission was. He knew what he was about. Other people said, oh, you're going to be a king. You're going to be the Messiah. Well, that's about crowns. That's about thrones. That's about getting a bunch of jewels and military power. That's about making our country the greatest country in the world again. No. Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he belonged to God. He knew that he was not the victim and he was not going to be defined by other people who would tell him what the mission was. He knew his mission. 
All right, now if you're with me so far with these three things that you can use, you are a follower of Jesus. You have to know who you are. And you have to act in a way where you're not a victim. You're not one that's worried about other people. But you're releasing those passions, releasing your will to be right. And to recognize that you're different from other people. That you are following the Holy Spirit. You're being led by the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit is truly going to be a resource for our living, the source of our living, then we need to allow the Holy Spirit to set the course of our living, to lay out that path of what it looks like. And here again, we're getting towards the end of the sermon, and you're like, okay, Brady, you said practical. I don't know if it's all this practical yet. Oh, really? You want me to go deeper? Are you sure about that? You want me to take this to the next level? Because I can definitely do that. Here we go. Have you got a piece of paper? You're going to probably want to need to write these down or put these in your phone. Three things that parallel what we've just said that you can do this week to begin to find yourself in the path of the crucified life. To live in the way of life. Are we ready? Here we go. The first one is pay no attention to other people's sin. Don't pay any mind to other people's sin. Ignore it. You do not have to fix them. You don't have to correct them. I mean, I know some of us are parents and that there's a role for parenting, so don't take that too far. But don't feel like somebody else's problem is yours that you need to correct and that you need to fix. You're not in charge of other people's sin. So ignore the sins of others. What this will do, if you practice it this week, is you will begin to find yourself in the way of love. You, you will learn what love is because you're not paying attention to their sin in a way similar to what God does with you. That's the first one. Are you ready for the second one? Be unperturbed by misfortune. You're like, Brady, that's too many words for me to tie. They're too long. Okay, don't be troubled when bad things happen to you. Is that easier to type in? Be unperturbed by misfortune that will help happen. You're going to be frustrated today. There are going to be things that drive you crazy this week. But do not let what's going on around you trouble you. Don't be perturbed by it. Don't hang on to it. If you pass in this path this week and you practice it and catch yourself, all right, I'm experiencing some misfortune, some trouble, I'm going to let it go. If you pass that way, you will find yourself more meek at the end of the week, more humble, less reactive, less responsive to others. All right, that's number two. Are you ready for the third one? So far, we're saying pay a no attention to other people's sin, right? We are also saying that we should not be perturbed by misfortune. And third, we should do good to those who do evil. The people that are in your life that are doing evil, I want you to do good to them. They're at least going to wonder what you're up to. Because in this third one, whenever we're not self-differentiated, we're real worried about what other people think and we let them control us. And if someone does evil to us or others and we decide that we're going to do evil to them, we are letting them control us. 
But if we choose to do good to those who are doing evil, we are beginning to multiply good in the world. And what we will find, the virtue that we will discover, is peace. The peace that comes from doing good to those who do evil. Well, those are the three things. They parallel what we've been talking about. Three things that, how many of you are going to try that this week? I'm asking you to raise your hand this time. This is, this is a tougher one. I want to know how it goes at the end of the week. The thing about tumbleweeds is that they're a plant, there's a bunch of varieties of them that get at some point disconnected from the root. And they break off and they become these cheetah spinning winds and they go off to find a place to decay, to break down, to release their seed. It's not the kind of seed that you want spread around. It's not a plant that you want in your backyard. And tumbleweeds are terrible because they're not connected to the earth. They, they don't really, they're not in touch with what's happening. They're rootless and aimless and get blown all around everywhere. And I will tell you, that's what your life will be like if you're being guided by your passions and by your desires, rather than the life that we've talked about of being led by the Spirit. The tumbleweed is this aimless plant that's in contrast to a tree. I don't know all of you. I don't know what you're going through, but you might feel rootless right now. Like things are not going your way. Like maybe even a tumbleweed. And I would give you the message that Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. That yes, He died for you, but He died for you in order to live. The song that we're going to sing in a minute is called Bloom. And it's from Isaiah 35. It, it has this beautiful, many beautiful lines in it, but it talks about God's work to bring fruit from desert places. To bring produce and life out of dry spaces. In fact, that passage in Isaiah 35 talks about God turning wildernesses into gladness. And what God can do in the desert is He can cause blooms and bring fruit and produce into our lives. And that's what we're seeking in our life. The kind of life that's rooted in the crucifixion of Christ. As mind-blowing as it is to think about a living, crucified Lord, that's who we serve. And it's a life that we take on and live today. Let's pray. Eternal God, maker of heaven and earth, maker of us, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that, that Jesus is our crucified Lord and that he didn't just die once, but that he invites us into a life that's modeled after that death. Father, would you help us as we deal with our various relationships that trouble us right now, that we'll begin to see what this crucified life can look like when it takes root in the goodness of your soil, when it's watered by the Spirit. God, we ask all this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.